It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Friends, welcome. As before, this is not a regular episode of Murder Mile. This is part two of three of New Blue an illuminating conversation with John and Sally Midgley, two retired detectives who now investigate murder cases in their podcast, True Crime Investigators UK. In last week's show, we dived into the day-to-day basics of being a detective. This week, we dive into the nitty-gritty of police interviews. As both John and Sally were detectives for many years, and Sally was also a lawyer. For reference... A duty lawyer or duty solicitor is the legal representative which any suspect or witness is entitled to, for free, when they're being interviewed by the police. This is part of your constitutional rights. The duty solicitors are entirely impartial, and they attend the interview on a purely advisory capacity, if a suspect is unable to provide their own legal representation. As before, John and Sally are great fun and a delight to talk to. And as we recorded all three episodes across several hours, I permitted them a teeny little tea break in between, which gave us a chance to try and sort out a few technical issues, hence the sound isn't always perfect. Yeah, we're just altering my microphone. (laughs) You're right. It's, yeah, that's just one little bit. Just give me a sec, Mike. No problem at all. I dread to think what's going on. This is this sounds very weird. <laughs> shall, shall I give you some more time? <laughs> and yes, I am implying they were up to something rude. It's my mics wobbling about. Oh, also worse because I'm on the waterway. A big fuel boat just went past <laughs> just after we switched off, and the boat rocked violently and threw everything around. So luckily, we missed that. That's useful to remember for later on. Before we started, as John and Sally had just been on a trip to London, we chatted about where they had visited. And there was all exhibits in glass cabinets, you know, you police know, memorabilia and... Police staff, truncheons, yeah, uh, helmets. Just, and... to, just to give it a bit of authenticity. It's, it's interesting that for a lot of police that I've had on the walk, I always thought it would be busman's holiday and the last mm. thing they would want to... Even doing this by time, it's anything police related. But is this what you do? Are you like, oh, I love that. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's because, like... because, it's, because it's not a job, it's a way of life. 
Ah. So therefore, and and I'm a policeman's daughter, so it's oh, wow, it's okay. always been a way of life for me. I mean, I I can remember going on a on a school visit when I I was only in the junior school, and I went on a school visit to the um, police station, and everybody knew me. It was like, oh, this is Keith's <laughs> daughter. You know, uh, I hadn't got a name of my own. I was obviously just Keith's daughter, but I felt like royalty. We chatted about meeting senior officers in the real world. Then we had some absolutely sterling bosses, and we went to a football match at Sheffield United a, mm. a couple of years ago, didn't we? A few years ago, and one of our boss, ex bosses, walked in, and both of us sort of went, "Morning, sir," because <laughs> because that's how you greeted them at, at work. I yeah. mean, none of us have ever called him by his by his Christian name. <laughs> Um, would that that feel weird? I guess. Mm. Yeah, it was, and he, he turned around and I want you to do this. You'd have gone and done it. Yeah. <laughs> if it had, if it had said, uh, "Stand on your head and sing Dixie," yeah, I'd be there. <laughs> and they had that sort of aura about them, didn't they? But uh, you know, it's and he was an old um, miner. Yeah, it was it was a miner. Oh, really? A lot, a lot of our bosses were um, coal Mine. miners. Is, is that because of the area? A lot of them came out, you know, as as they realised it wasn't particularly the most pleasant job and opportunities came along, like the police was recruited and, and they joined. And after a lot of chatting, we finally got down to talking about interviews. Isn't it? Because it's kind of like you're finding your feet and you don't want to step on other people's toes and then by the second one it's like, oh, everything's great. <laughs> well, an interview just becomes a chat, doesn't it? Well, that kind of leads us on to part two as well. So obviously we're diving into police interviews. And I think a lot of listeners have seen police interviews on television. Two detectives sitting opposite a, um, a, a suspect, if I can say that. And then the duty solicitor. What's the purpose of a police interview? What are the police trying to get out of the interview? Well, it, 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 it's an explanation. It's yeah. okay. you, you were seeing Fred Bloggs is seen coming out of a house carrying a hold all. Yeah. So what's your explanation? When you interview him, he could say, actually, it's my mate's house. I was staying there for the night. And in the hold all was my gym jams and my toiletries, <laughs> you know. So, so you, you're wanting an explanation. And also to gain further evidence. You know, if you put it to them, you were seeing, as Sally said, what's your explanation for being at that property? And they may say, well, I was never there. Uh, but going back to the, to the first principles, of course, everybody that's interviewed is under a caution where the, the basics of it are that you don't have to tell the police anything. It's your duty to remain silent and it's not for you to convict yourself out of your own mouth. What's the purpose of a no comment reply? I think uh, it, it's a prove it. Yeah, it's for the prosecution it's, to prove the case, and and that's what the defendant's saying. If he isn't giving you any explanation for anything, he's basically saying, you know, the ball's in your court, mate. But you, but doesn't doesn't that suggest that guilt or? But the words of the caution are that he doesn't have. You don't have to say anything. Unless you wish to do so. Okay. So he's going, well, actually, I'm going to 
I'm I'm going to use that right to silence. I'm not it, going to tell you. It's your job to prove it. Yeah, and it, and the law without compli- it gets a bit complicated, doesn't it, Sally? Without complicating <sighs> it, in years gone by, that interview would never be introduced as evidence in a in a criminal trial. Okay, you know, if it was a jury trial, they would. I mean, it may be sort of said that you know he, he's no nothing to say. And, you know, that's it. You shouldn't infer anything against him for that. But now the caution's changed that the reason that they put all these questions to people who say no comment is that they can't say subsequently, and the law's changed a little bit in the courts, hasn't it, Sally? Mm. That you can't, you can now draw inferences and different things. And of course, he can't come up with an excuse that he could have told you at the time now. So Uh if, if he, if he suddenly, Conjures an alibi up when he's mm. asked him about it, and he said no comment, no comment, no comment. Part of the new caution is that you can't rely on something you don't mention now, which you rely in, in court subsequently. The defence's point of view, isn't it, Sally? Is that if you're guilty, you can't make it, don't make it any worse by telling anybody. Basically. I guess the, sec- the second you open your mouth, you you're liable to make mistakes, aren't you, or or, or admit to things that you shouldn't have? Yes, and of course. You know, from a police point of view, you want them to tell you that, yes, I have burgled the house. Yes, I did steal that property. I sold it <laughs> down the road, you know, to my mate, and, and I'll tell you where it is, and you can go and get it back. How much information in advance does the duty lawyer have on that case? Well, these days you have to have what they call disclosure. And that was different to when uh, John and I were interviewing sort of years ago we didn't have to tell the duty solicitor we had to everything. Give them you, you had to give them a pricey of, 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 of what, but you weren't giving them the nuts and bolts of the evidence. Whereas these days, you do have to give disclosure about the job. Um, so, what, what what does disclosure mean? So, if you've got if you've got fingerprint evidence or forensic evidence or CCTV you will be telling the duty solicitor, look, we've got fingerprints and it's your it's your client, or uh, we've got CCTV and this is what it shows, or you, you're giving them copies of the statements of witnesses so that so that they can they can read that. It's clearly up to them how they advise their client because before you go into interview, the the solicitor will have time with the suspect to be able to discuss what's been disclosed. So at that point, that's the point where the um, the suspect can make the decision that they might want to do a, a, a no-comment interview. Yeah, yeah. Is, think... is that kind of dangerous for the detectives to kind of, you've got all of your evidence at the moment, and are you kind of trying to not give away too much too early? Or It's a very difficult one because if say you've you've held something vital back and if you say no comment it doesn't matter what you say because every question is going to answer no comment so you you know you might be an hour in that interview Mm. you know and every question you've put is no comment now whether that could be used at court subsequently is is down to the technicalities of evidence uh and you know what he said and what he didn't say uh but if you sort of bring the rabbit out of the hat, you know, something really vital that could have um, swayed the solicitor's 
advice to him. Of course, the solicitor could jump in and say, I want to stop the interview. That wasn't disclosed to me and I need to talk to him. Uh, so, but generally speaking, if if you try and pull something out of the hat, they'll they'll stop the interview or, or say, "I advise you to say no comment now because that wasn't disclosed to me." They, they don't like an ambush, do no, they? No, as I yeah. said, it's called ambush. So it's and you, and you get to know the solicitors as well, you know, especially in uh, going back to our provincial forces because the the solicitors are generally the ones from the locality where you work. So, are they are they on a rotor? Yes. Would, yeah. Okay. In fact, if you looked at it, you can actually look at it online. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Really? Yeah. I think it went as far as um, the end of the year. Does, does that make it easier for you knowing the duty solicitor? It, yeah. In many ways, well, it, it comes back to this like working relationship you have, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. That that I could when I was at work. A certain solicitor would be on the duty who I knew very well. He did his job, I did my job, but you knew that he, he, you could tell him things that you know that, that he wouldn't become hard. Some of them try and twist it round and and go overboard if, if that's the right word. Whereas others just say, "What's the facts? I'll have a word with him, see what he's going to say, and let you know." And of course, then when you when you go in, he'll say he'll talk to you, or it'll be a no comment interview. And that's the respect for both sides. We respect the lawyers, they respect the police. Wow, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> See, this is why I love doing this. I find new stuff all the time that I never knew. Um, so interviews have to take place in the interview room itself? Yes, because the... Uh, again, with modern technology, we've learnt something the other day, didn't we, <laughs> since we've left. I mean, most interviews that you'll see on the television are... are audio interview so that mm. tape recorded and then i use the uh, belfield case because you know that's quite a, a a nasty crime that he committed and of course it's been televised they also videoed it so you've got both audio and video and you can see his 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 demeanor and his attitude and of course you know he, he was found guilty anyway but you could just see what a obstructive individual he was. Mm. So I'm not sure how many police interviews are now videoed, but certainly the tape system where it was double recorded on tapes and the defendant had a copy of the police had a copy sealed up that moved on to being onto CDs. Uh, now it's gone completely computerized. So there's a, there's a type of computer in each interview room and it's the audio is doing what we're doing. It's recorded onto the uh, computer and stored in and the stored cloud. in the cloud, and you know, then it's people can apply. Who you know, the solicitor can get a copy of it. Obviously, the court, the Crown Prosecution Service gets a copy. So it's moved on, uh, but it's all audio recorded, uh, and for, for the obvious reasons that it's there for anybody to listen to, and they can't say, "Well, you didn't ask me that," or "I didn't say that." It's all there. One of one of those things that you, that you do get on police programmes is um, that they uh, say, "I'm so and so, and I'm in the interview room." Also, yes. here is and the name all the people that are there. Yeah, you never do that. Really, you you allow people. You know, you'd say to the to the suspect, "Can you give you your name?" And that's so that people who 
are transcribing it can identify whose voice is which. Oh, yes. So, so you, so you don't introduce everybody yourself. You let the solicitor introduce himself. You let, um, the other police officer who may be interviewing with you, you let him or her introduce themselves and you let the suspect introduce themselves because that way, whoever's transcribing knows who's speaking. Wow. The, uh, every time you see a police interview room on these dramas or things like that, they always look very small and very bare. It, it always feels like the door's locked. It's almost like it feels like a little prison cell. Is is there a purpose to that? It's it's the lack of distraction. Okay. So you, you don't... If, if you have a window in an interview room, it's usually opaque. Um, so you can't see outside, you can't, there's no distractions. Um, you usually in an interview room just have your, the desk between you and the chairs that you sit on. The one thing that they do tend to put on, um, most crime dramas is the uniformed officer stood near the door. Okay. Yes. I can honestly say I have never had a uniformed officer (laughs) stood near the door while, while I've, interviewed anybody either as a police officer or as a lawyer i don't know why they do that but all these programs seem to think that that's the done thing to do is put a uniformed police officer by the door yeah it would just be menacing wouldn't it you wouldn't be able to get good information out of the the suspect i mean on on rare rare occasions i think we've had people you know if there's going to be the prisoner's going to kick off and, you know, if, if you've got a real nasty, violent person, you know, you don't want to be on your own. <laughs> but uh, And potentially you can take the table out, out the room. You don't want anything there for... Well, normally they're bolted to the floor, aren't well, they? Well, yeah. yeah. Are mean, they? Yeah, obviously, because, you know, it's happened to me and I'm sure many people that, you know, it's got... This guy's got frustrated and he'll pick up, get up and pick the chair and throw it at you. Wow. And, and of course... Uh, there's panic alarms in them now. The, the more modern police stations are the ones you see, like the Belfield one, where it was videoed and the the, the purpose built. Whereas most police stations are, you know, quite old and they've just had to adapt them. And of course, the the, the re- interview rooms are small rooms that they've got available, and of course, the, the um, soundproof them for the acoustics. So uh, they are they look like small rooms, don't mm. they? For that reason. Mm. And so, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing the suspect can't leave the room of their own volition. If they're under arrest, they can't. Uh, I mean, okay. you can voluntarily, like, be interviewed. If if the uh, if the police don't want to arrest you and there's no need to, say you you were sort of uh, a suspect, but we needed to talk to you, and they said, "Well, I'll, I'll talk to you, all right, and, and whatever." If they're not under arrest, and that's actually read out to them. You know, when the start of the interview, you're not under arrest. And, and you, can you can leave, leave at any time. Any time you wish. You know, you can okay. get up and say, sorry, I've had enough of this. Or, sorry, I didn't realise I was, uh, you know, suspected or I've changed my mind. I want to see a solicitor or whatever. Now, at that point, if you felt you got the evidence, you could arrest them. And, of course, once you're under arrest, you can be detained by force. Uh, so if you try to leave, you can be restrained. 
but that's very very rare and of course then the solicitors come into play there if they if they want to have one so if Can they you... if they want to leave obviously mm. they, they they can't and normally the interviews are in the cell block so it's a secure block oh okay yeah because people so e- even if they could get out of the room they couldn't get out of the block yes Sorry, a boat just went past. (laughs) (laughs) That's why it sounded like there was an earthquake. That wasn't me trying to break break out the prison block. (laughs) Yeah, so so basically the the cell blocks are secure to to prevent anybody escaping. And, of course, the interview rooms are generally in more modern police... Within that cell block Within that cell block. So if they got Ah. out the interview room and the doors of the interview room are not locked for your own safety reason so if it all goes wrong you can get out but or somebody if, can get in to help you get in to help and you've got an alarm buttons on there now wow. if if it all goes really out of control and they do get out of that interview room they're still within the secure cell block area i can always remember i was i was a very young cop i'd only be about 19 and i'd arrested somebody and took him back to the police station and it was before we had proper cell blocks it was an old building um that you walked through the back door which was on a yale uh, um a yale yeah. lock and then you walked through a corridor and then you were into the inquiry office part and the cells were off the inquiry office oh. and 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 the guy who was what we called then the jailer they're now called the Custody custody, custody officer, but we called him the jailer then, and so he would look after the prisoners. But he would also go to the front desk if anybody walked into the police station. He would go to the front desk, and on this occasion, it was about it was about midnight, and the jailer was busy at the inquiry desk. So I was waiting for him to come back and and process my guy to be taken through to the cell block and uh, he decided to run off the way that we'd come in and I caught up <laughs> and I caught up with him at, at the back door and just as he was turning the lock to get out out the door I caught up with him and I grabbed hold of him and he turned around and smacked me in the mouth and Ooh. then ran off out the door and I was in trouble because to lose a prisoner <laughs> from your custody was a disciplinary offence. Oh, wow, God. So um, he was pursued <laughs> by me and many others. Probably about a mile from the police station, he was, he was caught and, and brought back. Are there any reasons why you wouldn't be able to interview someone? They could be yeah. in hospital. Uh, okay. You know, if they're injured. Um, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, knife attacks, gun crime, you know, one party shooting at others. Can you interview them at the hospital? If, well, the, the, it's very limited, isn't it, Sally? It, uh, and th- it wouldn't be good practice. And, okay. And, of course, what you would do if, if they were, uh, like, you know, seriously injured, you didn't know whether they were going to die. When you see on the television the police officers at the bedside, that does happen in serious matters you know you'll be told to make a note of everything that he says so in case they died then at least you've got some record that this is what the guy said ah 
Can I ask, before someone is interviewed, do they have to be checked over by a doctor or does someone have to decide whether they're fit to be interviewed? Yes, that's down to the the custody sergeant now. When you when the, you take your the prisoner in, obviously it's all that area is videoed now. Is that the per, the the person behind the desk where you yep. approach the desk and they ask your name and details? Yep. They, they, normally, uh, there's a, certainly a sergeant in charge, and the bigger cell blocks have uh, custody officers who, who can be civilian officers, but they're under the guidance of the custody sergeant and of course there's a lot of documentation to be done when you first present somebody there they've got to find out who they are etc etc and of course they're asked if they've got any medical issues any injuries all that's gone through and if they say uh, obviously I've take tablets for various things and they haven't got them you'd have to get a police surgeon police medical officer come out and examine them or if you just by the demeanour, you really realise that they might have um, learning difficulties. They might have, obviously, mental health issues. It's a very uh, complex area, isn't it, mm. Sally, there? Because, you know, the last thing anybody wants is for something to go b- badly wrong, i.e. they die in police custody. So yeah. every opportunity is explored to make sure that they are fit to be detained. And if there's a question mark, they are detained and then other people brought in could be psychiatrists could be doctors to make sure that they're okay and fit to be interviewed as a lawyer would the lawyer get to look at the suspect's kind of history and criminal record prior to meeting them or yes usually um as part of the disclosure that the officers uh, give to you in the mm. case so as well as the statements and and all the rest of it, you would expect a printout of previous convictions of their, what we call their, their antecedents. So you would expect to, to see what, what you are dealing with before, before okay. an interview. And, and likewise, if they haven't got any previous convictions, the officer will say to you, they have no previous convictions. Can you be duty solicitor for someone who's a friend, a family, an associate? It wouldn't be it wouldn't be good practice. You, you've you've got to look at the conflict of interest, and yeah. and if somebody is a member of your family or a very close friend, and of course the other thing is if they are close to you, have they got some knowledge of the crime that you're being investigated for? So that conflict of interest wouldn't really allow a legal representative to be involved in an interview with somebody that is that close to them. In a a, a police area, if you go there for for work there for years, you know most people, most of the criminals, it's the same faces very often (laughs) coming round like a revolving door. Uh, So you know them. But if you were investigating somebody who was a friend of mine or or a friend of another officer, you would, you know, say, I don't think I should be involved in this because they are friends. Not meaning that, you you know, anything's wrong in that, but you want to, because if you're a friend, you, you every time you see them socially or whatever the friendship is, they'll be talking about the case. <laughs> and, and of course, like same with lawyers, you know, if, if you've represented a friend. So I think on both sides, it's professional, not 
we, we interview people we know because we've met them before, but they're not friends or family yeah. or in that sort of relationship. Um, not that I'm going to suggest that I'm ever going to be arrested. That's if the I caveat, was. is it? <laughs> I'm putting that out there, there right now, <laughs> just so people know. Um, if I was to end up in a police interview, what is the best advice you would give me? I mean, you'd, you'd like to say, just tell the truth, tell yeah. it as it is. Um, and that will probably be the best advice. Um, honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy. Um, <laughs> but then as a lawyer, sometimes you wouldn't be saying honesty is the best policy because some people do actually tell officers things that, that they didn't know and may lead to other crimes. You know, as a lawyer, you're trying to keep client to the point, answer the questions that are put to you and and just keep to those questions. I mean, and good, real good criminals, you know, we've had in the past. I mean, they're, they're like, you know, you've got first division players like anything and real hard professional criminals very often won't even come out of the cell. Never mind go for an interview. They're just saying. Wait, wait, so they have that option or oh, they yeah. can make the decision not to leave? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, if you open the, well, the custody sergeant opens the cell door and says, the two detectives here want to interview you, and you'll say, well, I don't want to talk to them. That's the polite version. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and, of course, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not coming. I have nothing to tell I, you. I always thought it was kind of mandatory, and if you didn't, you'd be arrested or something. But this is your choice? Well, yeah, well, of course, they're under arrest anyway. Yeah. Um, but, of course, going back to the old, you know, adage that, if you if you're so inclined and you you know you know what you're talking about from a criminal point of view, they know that they're not going to say anything and and of course it's a mind game. They're trying to get the upper hand on you, saying you know I ain't even going to talk to you. Never mind anything else. So if you've got evidence against me, get on with it. And and that's what some of them either will say to the custody sergeant and and even in court, you know they sometimes won't even go to court. You've seen oh, it on wow. the media where, you know, he's refused to go to his trial uh, uh, or kicks off and the judge says, well, I'm not having this. You're sent to the cells and your trial will be conducted in your absence. In your absence. So, so kind of sitting in your cell and saying, I'm not going to do the interview, that's kind of a, playing the big mind game. But I'm guessing going into an interview and saying no comment, you're just that the suspect is kind of feeding for information. And, and you, well, they go through the formalities of, you know, I'll, I'll be interviewed, but I'm not going to tell you anything. No comment. And they'll tell you that before, as you, as you're walking in, before you start. Really? The, you know, it's no point doing this because I'm not going to say anything. Well, we're going to put the questions to you. And you've still got to ask the questions because if, if you, if, if you're asking the questions and they're saying no comment, then later on, say when, when you get to court, you can say, we asked him that question. He made no comment. But if you haven't asked him the question, you can't then say, I put the question to him and he's made no comment or he didn't give an answer to that if you didn't put the question to him. Does that make sense? Yes. So so if, if you're saying you were seen walking out of number one, the high street with a hold all under your arm, if you go into the interview and you say, do you know number one high street? No comment. 
do you ever visit number one high street? No comment. And you think, well, this is obviously going nowhere, so I may as well stop the interview. Then you can't then infer something from the fact that do you have access to number one high street? Do you know the occupants of number one high street? Um, what was in the hold all that you were carrying? You know, all those questions that you haven't asked, you can't then can't infer something from that because you haven't asked him the question and given him the opportunity to say no comment. So even in a no comment interview, you are still asking the questions. So you're covering all of your bases in, in, in terms of future interviews or, or evidence. Yeah, and sometimes you've got people who, uh, you know, again, psychological warfare really, become the big I am, I'm not talking to you, I'm going to say no comment. And of course, as, as it goes on and they realise they've probably got more evidence <laughs> than you originally thought, sometimes they... they stop the interview, have a word with the solicitor, and then you go back in and say, well, I want to admit this one. Um, and, and and that's not uncommon, is it, Sally? The change, change direction through the interview. It, it, it can be a very... There's no set format, is there? You no. can go, you go from the extreme of, I'm not coming out of the cell, so get on with it. I'm not going to the judge, get on with it. To, you know... I'll, I'll tell you everything. I'll try my best to flannel my way out of it, or, you know... And then realise, well, perhaps I'd be better admitting this one. Because you do get credit, of course, at court if you've admitted the offence and not had the cost and trouble of a trial. That must be quite nice for you guys when you're interviewing someone and someone just does decide to say, OK, I did it, here's all the information. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like that's when your detective hat's put on that you've you've got to get... You know what's coming with these people, so you get your evidence the best you can. And sometimes, then, of course, you you can't get all the evidence. You know, when you've got to have in the modern world have phones examined, it takes weeks and months for that to happen. You've got forensics, you've got toxicology, you've got all sorts of things that you haven't got, but you can only go with what you've got, and then release them. And then, when you've got other evidence, they come back in again. So it's a you know. If you've got the evidence on the day and you, you you know what you're talking about, you're in a better position. And and I'm guessing you can only hold these people for a, a set amount of time to interview them? Initially, it's 24 hours. Yeah. Um, you can hold somebody for up to 96 hours without without a charge. After that 96 hours, you've got to decide, are you going to let them go or are you going to charge them? Mm-hmm. However, during that 96 hours, you have to have had uh, at various stages along the way um, an inspector's authority to to keep them. And then, oh. and then as time goes on, you have to actually go to the court to ask uh, custody extended to the to the 96 hours unless you're arrested for under the Terrorism Act, mm-hmm. and that's. I think that's seven days, seven days isn't, isn't it? Oh, wow, so. okay. You're sitting in an interview room with the, the suspect and they're seeing your face, you're seeing their face. Um, obviously, when they get released, and it's probably in the neighbourhood that you live in, is that kind of weird to be recognised by them and how do you react to that? We do see people that 
um, even to this very e- day. E- even to this day, right? <laughs> um, I can think of one who regularly waves to us. Yeah, um, yeah. When, when we see him. Um, but but those Christmas cards, the, uh, not quite. Um, but those those are people of members of our community, um, yeah. and if they are members of our community, you acknowledge each other. I mean, fortunately, we we live in quite a small village, and and we know everybody in the village because of the size of the village it is. Um, but when we go down into the city on occasions, there are people that we have seen. Yeah, I mean, you actually, you know, we st- I still see people now, 15 years after I've finished, and they'll come and talk to you and say, you know, it, there's a bit of a professional <laughs> banter between you. And, uh, you know, very often you get people, when you've interviewed them, as we're talking about interviews, and, and when they know that they're cornered, they'll say... You've not done a bad job on this, have you? You've, you've really, <sighs> you've really sort of got me this time. And of course, you know that for everyone you've got them for, there's X numbers of others that you haven't, yes. and they know that you you haven't. So it's a, it's a it's almost a cat and mouse game, isn't it? And and there was one occasion we were we were in the city and we were just walking back to our car, <laughs> and this this guy, very nicely dressed guy, walked up to John and and went. Oh, you know, hello, Mr. Midgley, and how are you? And shook his hand and sort of had quite a chat with him and then walked off. And I, I said to John, who is that? And it was, it, it was, it was a con man, basically, mm, who, it was a fraudster who, who John had arrested, interviewed, and he'd ultimately gone to prison for the fraud that he perpetrated. Oh, wow. And we always, <laughs> always referred to him as um, Mr. Euro Reversible Trouser Bonds because <laughs> if there was anything ever called a Euro Reversible Trouser Bond, he was going to be the man that would have sold it to you. So, so, so John said that was Mr. Euro Reversible Trouser Bonds. <laughs> really, you know? But, but yeah, I mean, having been to prison, he came up when he when he saw John in the street. He came up to John and shook his hand, asked if he was all right and how you doing and all that kind of thing. I had absolutely no idea who the guy was. Do you think it would be better to interview them on a nice sofa with a cup of tea? No. No. <laughs> I was wondering whether it would make them more comfortable. Uh, well, you can get too comfortable. You, okay. You need to be in a you need to be in a place that says you're in trouble mate okay um mm. I, I think you do yeah. i mean there are times when you, you can interview people at home but not for serious no. things but you I want meant, um, you want to uh, be you want them to be in your territory okay not, right not the, you you're being in my theirs. house yes yeah. my house my rules yeah, yeah. um ah. but I, I mean just thinking about it i also remember when I was on a a murder and there were two uh, defendants and they had, if I said 19 interviews between the two of them uh, by the same two officers um, over a a period of time and they said no comment to anything, uh, to everything. And, And they were convicted and I'm not sure if they're, not still in prison now. 
Yeah, it was a nasty, nasty, nasty random murder, wasn't it? Yeah, a random murder. But there were two professional criminals who knew the system, who knew what, and basically sat there and said, get on with it. Mm. And fortunately, through a lot of hard detective work and good leadership, uh, they got enough evidence to get them convicted. Didn't yeah. They? Are there any interviews that you kind of remember that's kind of stayed with you forever? Um, Obviously, I'm I'm not saying name names. No, <laughs> I mean the majority. To be honest, a lot of them are no comments, aren't they, I, that, Sally? Really? You know? I think a, I think a lot of the inst- I mean, when when you just said that is the is the one interview I can always remember interviewing a little boy oh. who had who had reported abuse to him, and he was only about five or six. It was the sweetest little thing you'd ever seen. He got, I can visualise him now, he got blonde hair and he got um, round horn-rimmed glasses on. And he was he was such a sweet little boy and he, he had been um, very seriously abused. And I can always remember the doctor coming out to him and he was he was laid on, on his back and the doctor was talking to him about the abuse that he'd suffered and he suddenly shot up onto all fours and he said, and, and then he said what had happened to him. And he went, not like this, like this. <laughs> and I can just remember that poor little boy, wow. age five or six, you know, sort of just telling the doctor, you know, you're doing it all wrong. I don't lay on my back. This is how I am. And, 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 and you can't make that up. Yeah. You, you, you cannot, you cannot make that up. And that, and that little boy stays with me. We've done a, one of our podcasts, the Michael Pritchard murder. Mm. And it's a, a guy got run over by somebody trying to steal his van. And of course, you get. And, and it's a case that John worked yeah, on. Yeah. And we've done a. I, I was close to the family. And, uh, and so this is where he was stood when his attention was drawn to his vehicle being moved. And he turned round and ran to it. And it was just here where it reversed back with him banging on the sides of the van, trying to stop it. And as it reversed in this little area here, it drew forward. And that's where Michael stood in front of it then, with his hands on the front of the vehicle, trying to stop the vehicle. And of course, eventually, as we know, he was run over, dragged under the vehicle and sadly carried under the vehicle, from what witnesses said, 50 yards or thereabouts down down the cul-de-sac. you know, his widow, we never caught the people. Um, and it's, you know, it's just the effect. Um, and our podcasts have, have highlighted that, haven't they? That, mm. you know, all these years, 30 and 40 years and 70 years in the current one, the current families are still living with this trauma. When you deal with it, you deal with it professionally, but you're also human and you do get emotionally involved with it. Yes. You know, and even now we still think of what could we have done different? You know, could we have done something and caught them and, and we haven't and we've failed and, you know, you get that sort of... And it's... You, a lot of cops say that, don't they? They still think of and, all and, these cases that... And the one that we've that we've just done, the one from 1948, one of the cops, the senior investigating officer on the first investigation, wrote a book about this murder called Murder on My Mind. Yeah. And that's... That's what it is, and this is why we did the Michael Pritchard one mm. as as a podcast because that was a murder that 
that has never left John. And even now, we we still talk about it, mm. don't we? And and Hillary, uh, uh, the deceased wife, she was she was fifty three when it happened. So she's now a late because it's happened in ninety seven. So she's now a lady in a in a well into her seventies, but she still lives in nineteen ninety seven. Mm-hmm. She oh, has Lord. not moved on one minute. Ugh. And that's it, folks. I hope you liked it. A big thank you to John and Sally from True Crime Investigators UK for their time. If you want to know more about the cases they've worked on and covered, check out their podcast. There's a link in the show notes and a clip coming up in Extra Mile. We'll be back next week with part three, The Basics of Crime Scenes. Until then, here is Extra Mile. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And here is Extra Mile. Ah, ha, ha. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, the obligatory extra mile stretch and yawn. I'm yawning because uh, I'm badly hungover today. Tuesday boozing. Yeah. Met up with a pal. And he was like, are you in town? I was like, yeah, why not? So we uh, we we did the usual where hit a couple of pubs. And we were like, yeah, well, we'll eventually get to a, a restaurant and we'll, we'll have like a nice curry or something. Nap didn't happen. Just kept boozing. Oh, my head. Anyway. Uh, Tua, let's just do some quick quiz questions and then we will uh, dive into some extra stuff. So well done, Michael. I've actually written 10 questions this time. Miracle. I don't know why I only did six last time. Right. Here's some quiz questions. Uh, Answers will come up shortly. So question number one. What did Sally say they would do if their boss asked them to? That was the the former boss that they used to work to. So uh, what did Sally say they would do if their boss asked them to? Question number two. Which infamous serial killer did John mention? Uh, Question number three. What's special about the tables in a police interview room? Question number four. 
Why are police interview rooms so dull? Question number five. What two? Come on, Michael, learn to speak. Question number five. What two things did Sally say that crime dramas always get wrong? Question number six. Who decides if a suspect is fit to be interviewed? Question seven. What's the maximum amount of time a person could be held initially? Question number eight. How long can you hold them without a charge? Question number nine. How long can you hold them under the Terrorism Act? And question number ten. What was the nickname of the con man John and Sally recently met? So we'll do the answers to those very shortly. Oh, it's, it's a hot day today. Moved moved the boat about two days ago, uh, and I was going to move it just a little bit further up from where I am now. Um, but I looked at the weather, and the weather was like it's going to be thirty, thirty-two degrees. And the wor- that's the worst thing is when you're in a a steel boat. The steel gets really, really hot and bakey hot to the point where, at like ten in the morning, if you touch it, you'll burn your hand. So uh, I found this little place. It's it's not particularly great here, but I'm under a massive tree. So hopefully, it's a little bit of shade. So yeah, looking forward to that. Hope looking forward to staying a little bit cool. Uh, what else is coming up? Working. I'm finishing off the research on the new cases coming up. So um, as with many of the ones that we've had in this season already, there's some that are fascinating. Many of them I've never heard of before i pulled out kind of the archive files uh many have never been told before um many have never been reported in the press or what was out in the press is limited so uh one of the cases coming up uh is one i don't want to give away too much it was a case that i heard about uh and the victim's relative is still trying to get it resolved and i i I, you know there wasn't any files in the archives and then i did my thing where i do a reverse search where sometimes you don't search for the big information sometimes you search for uh bizarre information and you just see because sometimes the files are misfiled or you know sometimes the files in the archives are like name date all the details you need but sometimes it just says murder or it just says london and, you know, I think over time there's been someone in the archives who hasn't done their job properly. Hence, things aren't well, not in there properly. But, yeah, no, I found one case. I was like, oh, my God, this murder case did actually go to trial. But it kind of collapsed at trial. Therefore, there was almost nothing in the press. So that's going to be coming this way uh, soon. I need to sit down and really work on that. It's a really, really baffling case. Uh, but, yeah, no, some of them are absolutely shocking. They really are. Um, and, of course... If uh, you want to see some of the crime scene photos, pop over to Patreon for for just a, what is it? I think it's I think it's like three dollars a month, which is two pounds in real money. You get to see all the crime scene photos. There's lots of interesting stuff on there. So yeah, dive in. Um, the Michael Pritchard case was mentioned in this episode, so I'm going to throw in a clip from uh, John and Sally's uh, series, uh, True Crime Investigators UK, about Michael Pritchard. I'm going to throw it in there, but if you want to listen to the whole thing, uh, pop along to True Crime Investigators UK. Mick's got a tree planted in his name in Kirk Langley at the position where he died. And I go regularly, and um, the council have put the tree up. And I go, and they've left me a little bit of uh, soil around and I put plants in it around the tree and that gives me a bit of comfort I don't um, dwell on the fact of 
the actual accident because I can't cope with that. I just cope with the fact that this is where Mick was and this is where his resting place was. And that gives me comfort just to go there and know that I've got the tree there and the, and the plants that I can do for him. Okie dokie, so I hope you enjoyed that. Um, let's do the answers. Oh, I forgot to do a thank you. Uh, a thank you to uh, Louise Farley uh, for the kangaroo mug that came through the post. Very kindly sent all the way from Australia. Um, it's on my desk right now. It's got tea in it. Well, it hasn't got tea in it. I need to I need to fill it up with tea. But uh, yeah, thank you very much. That's very kind of you. That, that is in pride of place. Um, answers to the questions. Get ready. Uh, question number one, what did Sally say that they would do if their former boss asked them to? That was Whistle Dixie. Question number two, which infamous serial killer did John mention? Uh, now I'm hoping, <laughs> I've written this down, I've written Levi Belfield, which he did mention, but now, because I've just I've just finished... I'm partway through editing part three as well. He mentioned uh, the Yorkshire Ripper. So he may have also mentioned Yorkshire Ripper. I'm not too sure. I'm hungover. Question number three. What's special about the tables in the police interview rooms? Many of them are bolted to the floor. Question number four. What are police interview... Well, sorry, question number four. Why are police interview rooms so dull? They are designed so there are no distractions. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so simple, but actually it makes perfect sense. Question number five. What two things did Sally say that crime dramas always get wrong? So the first one is uh, that there is a uniformed officer standing at the door. Um, doesn't happen. Unless, obviously, they really need it to. Uh, question uh, sorry, uh, and number two. Uh, that... One officer introduces everyone around the table, which they don't do. So there you go. You can, you're learning things ready for when you're watching the next crime drama. You can sit there going, well, that's wrong. Uh, question number six. Who decides if a suspect is fit to be interviewed? That would be the custody officer or custody sergeant. Basically the same person. Uh, question seven. What's the maximum amount of time a person can be held initially? 24 hours. Uh, question eight. How long can you hold them without charge? Uh, maximum 96 hours. Question nine. How long can you hold them under the Terrorism Act? That's seven days. And question uh, without charge. And then ten. question 10. What was the nickname of the con man John and Sally had recently met? His nickname was Mr. Euro Rever Reversible Trouser Bond. I have to re-say that. Mr. Euro Reversible Trouser Bond. Not easy to say. <laughs> there we go. Oh, so I hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, New, B New Blue Season 2, Part 2. So something different. That's what I'm trying to do is every, t every time I have a little break in the season, I'll try and give you something different just so we've got something different to listen to and uh, some something enjoyable. So, right, that's me done. Just a, just a short extra. It's weird. Without the uh, 
the extra stuff, the extra, why extra mile is there, why I give you all the details, because I don't have the extra stuff this time. I can't give you anything else. So uh, that's me done, I think. So uh, have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good. And now I'm about to, I'm about to record the extra mile for part three. That's going to feel weird. Oh no, I need to do the intro for Extra Mile Part 3. Anyway, that's me done. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe and be good, people. People, why do I call you people? That doesn't mean, I mean, we are all people, but I don't know why I just said people. I'm going to say folks. Have a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.